You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome one, welcome all. It is Tuesday. It is 5 p.m. Central Time, which means, which means, excuse me, it is time for a Blogging the Boys roundtable here on the Blogging the Boys YouTube channel. You can watch us live. You can hang out with us after the fact. Of course, catch the rewatch. You can listen to this every single week, every single Tuesday on the Blogging the Boys podcast network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating, write a review. Uh, we have tons of great shows coming out there every day. In fact, we have two shows that come out every single day, even in the off season. There is no stopping us. We are all obsessed with the Dallas Cowboys and talking about them, discussing them, analyzing them, etc. Uh, speaking of two, though, today's roundtable is a twosome. It is just myself. I'm RJ Ochoa, and it is the legendary, the incomparable, one of the founding fathers, the OGs, the originals of Blog and the Boys, Tom Ryle, who you can hear on the Blog and the Boys podcast network every Thursday on Riled Up. You can read on the pages of blogandtheboys.com. You can see him on a lot of our roundtables, and of course, follow him on Twitter at Tom Ryle BTV. Thomas, thank you for hanging out with me and just me tonight on the roundtable. No problem. Uh, you know, sometimes you can have the best conversations just one-on-one, you know? That's true. Uh, so, um, because this is your show, this is this is the, the Tom show, really, if we're being honest. <laughs> I came to you, I said, what do you want to talk about tonight, Tom? Earlier today when we were slacking back and forth, and you had a subject. So this is your thing. Um, we're, we're going to dive in. We're, you know, right now I feel like we're at um, we're at like one of those Brazilian steakhouses, and we're flipping the the card over to the green side. Just serve us the stuff. Serve us this this subject matter, and we're going to dive in. Um, so go ahead, set the stage however you want. I don't want to d- take your thing. Uh, let us know as Ethan checks in. Says, "Hey guys, what's up, Ethan? What we're going to be talking about this afternoon slash evening?" Yeah, I'm. I saw. I thought it would probably happen. I was kind of hopeful after the discontent that permeated the offseason for the Cowboys that maybe we wouldn't do this so much. But out there in social media, it seems to be happening. People are mixing up the blue and silver Kool-Aid and guzzling it down, convincing themselves how everything's going to work out just great. And and they're starting to, you know, kind of pump up their, their expectations uh, you know, you you be a you have this little sarcastic habit of something happens about the Cowboys and you throw out seventeen and zero, but it's you know you're joking. We know that there are people out there that are really convincing themselves that this team has the problems fixed, that the solutions are all good. And as you were mentioning when we were kind of uh, hashing this out beforehand, they're often doing a one eighty from what they were saying, correct? So, well, so to be clear, I maintain that this is true, uh, what I'm about to say, in that I believe this is this is the most dejected, most apathetic I've seen a large contingency of Dallas Cowboys fans. I, I think that that 
that group has existed every offseason for the last almost three decades, right? I think this is the largest swath of that that we have ever seen. Now, I do think we have seen, um, like, like if all of these Cowboys fans have been on strike, I do think we've seen some cross the picket line, right? Like we've, we've seen some, you know, some have come, come back to the man, so to speak. And some have come at different stages, right? Like there were the people who for whatever reason, were like juiced up by the James Washington signing or the Dante Fowler signing like that, that got them to, to cross, right? Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't want any scab taking my job, right? Like, I'm back here, I'm, I'm ready to roll. Uh, there were some people who, you know, were naturally enthused with the draft, right? Maybe for some people, it was the blockchain announcement, who knows. Uh, but I do think that the largest crossover, so to speak, happened after the schedule release. Um, I, I think that that for some reason spoke to people maybe and even though we knew all the opponents obviously I, I think if I'm not a, a psychologist by any means but if, if I had to delve into the psychology of it all I think it's because now it becomes real now we can buy tickets now we can plan a trip now we can say we're going to go to Nashville in late December we're going to do this and so you can you can put a tangible sort of taste around it and so now you're like you have to be committed which is why you have to cross that picket line of emotion so to speak but to your point I do think that there are people now coming back talking themselves into it and and we're starting to see the the same sort of rhyme and rhythm uh that, that we have seen forever this is the part of the scary movie where like you know they they knock the bad guy out and just leave him on the ground with a chainsaw or whatever and you're wondering why are you doing this cut his head off take the weapon away uh but lo and behold the bad guy's coming to get us all in the very end yeah and as you said we knew what the schedule was going to be we knew the opponents because the the nfl uses a a fairly simple formula to, to figure out how it works. There's a rotation of divisions, and then you you know you play one extra team here and there. And we've said for a while that that alone, the fact that it looked like the slate of opponents was weaker this year, that the Cowboys could still make the playoffs even with a worse team. This is something you talked about, by the way, on Riled Up last week with Roy yeah. White. You actually mentioned what I wrote about. Um, it's not even the teams that they're playing. It's the quarterbacks. The quarterbacks that they're mm -hmm. slated to play are awful, and they could get worse. I mean, obviously, you have injuries and whatnot, but – and spoiler alert uh, on this week's NFC East mixtape, which drops on Wednesday, Brandon Gotten from Bleeding Green Nation, uh, big big theme, uh, Bleeding Green Nation his, here is today uh, on the roundtable, Tom, but uh, we'll get there. Um, we predicted the wins and losses for every Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, Washington Commanders, and New York Giants game, and the Cowboys get the Titans later than anybody else in the division. Like, is it going to be Ryan Tannehill? Is it going to be Malik Willis? Like, we don't know, you know? Like, so those things mm -hmm. could lend to their favor as well. Yeah, and... Uh... Even though, even that, even when you look at that, the problem is that from year to year in the NFL, there are regressions to the mean. One of those happens with the one loss record. Teams that are really bad tend to have a bit better one loss record. Teams that are really good tend to have a little bit worse one loss record the following year. So since the Cowboys are facing a bunch of teams that had bad one loss records last year, they're more most likely to see the opponents actually get better over the course of the season. So on the subject, regression to the mean could be like the title of its own podcast. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. that's something we, we workshop. But um, but I, I think regression to the mean happens most strongly in two different capacities across, you could argue, all of sports, but certainly the NFL. 
One is from an injury standpoint. Teams who lose a lot of players and therefore a lot of games lose an enormous amount of, you know, whatever to injury generally regress towards the mean the very next year. In 2020, Tom, do you know which two teams were the most affected by injuries? So I'm talking to the 2020 season to be very clear here. 20. Weren't the Cowboys? They were number two. Yeah. The number number one, the San Francisco 49ers. And look what the Niners did last year. You know what I mean? Like, we certainly know that lesson very well. Do you know who was the least impacted by injuries in 2020? I think the Cowboys. In 2020, Tom. Still 2020. Oh, 20. No, I'm sorry. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers who won Mm. the Super Bowl, right? So, Mm. (laughs) I mean, it's it's just interesting. (laughs) And so you look like... You know, this this is just if you care about the NFL, that's why the Baltimore Ravens are such a vogue pick to be back this year because they lost so many corners and players and running backs and all sorts of whatnots uh, to different injuries last year. And so it stands to reason that they'll regress, uh, regress, excuse me, to the mean. That's that's the big one. Uh, injuries. The other one is turnovers defensively. We talk about this. We've been harping on this all offseason long. And I know a lot of people are probably like, why are you Why are you guys like condemning the, the Cowboys defense? Why, why don't you believe? We totally believe. But like, if we base things off of the 100-year history of the NFL, then it's extremely likely that this defense is going to regress in some capacity. And I point to no example, Tom, greater than – and greater in the sense of kind of like awakening Cowboys fans – a year ago, we were so frustrated as Cowboys fans that national talk shows were picking the commanders, then the football team, obviously, to, to repeat as division champs. And the whole like premise behind their logic was, you know, if this defense just kind of stays the course, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick can do enough. And what happened to that defense? It, it not only regressed the mean, it went to the other extreme. It, it literally traveled all the way across the spectrum. Now, that's a harder regression than generally happens. And they did kind of stabilize as the season went on, although not um, against the Cowboys, obviously. But so, like, that, that, that happened. You know what I mean? That happened in this division, which opened the door for the Cowboys last year. And so to that point, I mentioned Bleeding Green Nation, uh, BGN alum Jimmy Kemsky from the Philly Voice. Uh, I saw you tweeted about this today, tweeted that the Cowboys led the NFL with 34 takeaways in 2021. He noted a list, Tom, of 13 teams who recently had at least 30 takeaways in a season. Do you know the smallest drop-off the next Ooh. season? I think it was like seven or eight. I didn't. I it don't was remember. six. I looked at six. In, in yeah. The 2018 was. Rams generated 30 takeaways on defense, and the next year generated generated 24. Do you know the largest drop off? I was. Oh God, I was up there. I, 17, something big like that. 18. The yeah. 2017 Detroit Lions uh, generated 32 takeaways, and the next year only 14. Mm-hmm. And and people are not acknowledging how phenomenal what Trayvon Diggs did was. He, there had been no player get eleven interceptions since <laughs> nineteen eighty one, and admittedly, it's now a longer season and everything. Still, for years, the most anybody could get was ten interceptions in the season, and he pops up and gets eleven. He he is he could still lead the NFL in interceptions and only get seven. I or think six because it doesn't you don't always see double digit interceptions in the NFL. It was so frustrating. Um and I know that we're talking about like good things that happened to the Cowboys, so it wasn't frustrating in that sense. But I remember after the first game of the season, I write winners and losers every week at our site um, after every single game. And I didn't 
hype up the defense, you know, from a turnover standpoint after they lost the Buc- There was a big kind of positive energy after the loss to Tampa in week one. But, and a lot of people were, were hyped up because of the turnovers. And I was, I was of the mindset, like, why, like, why are we, you know, applauding this, the, the big turnovers that game Trayvon's pick came off of a ball that went off of Leonard Fournette's hands on a screen pass from Tom Brady, which is a fluky thing. Like you, you can't guarantee that. Um, and uh, Jordan Lewis had an interception at the end of the first half on a Hail Mary, you know what I mean, that was just kind of like a throw-up play, whatever. And DeMonte Kazee, Chris Godwin just, like, dropped the ball near the end zone, which gave life to the Cowboys near the final end of that drive. And even the next week, speaking of DeMonte Kazee, Justin Herbert, who's a fantastic quarterback, weirdly threw it sort of directly at DeMonte right in the end zone as that game was getting tight. There were these weird, sticky turnovers that that do not happen, that there were so, like, even the Diggs pick – in New England that, that he housed and, and get, you know, kept the Cowboys alive in that. There were these weird things that you cannot count on tip balls that are so likely going to regress this coming season, which is part of why we were so devastated when last year didn't end the way we wanted it to. Yeah. And, you know, the NFL plays with the most oddly shaped ball in all of sports. Uh, you know, it's pointy on both ends. It takes funny bounces. It caroms off of another player in funny directions. And the Cowboys just kept coming up, just kept rolling sevens last year or 11s. I'm not good at dice, so I don't know which is best. But they kept, you know, like they they kept, you know, just kept rolling the, the hot number over and over. And that's – you can't say it's never going to happen, but it's almost guaranteed that it's not going to be as favorable for them. And – they have some issues on defense that we don't know for sure about the answers to. One of them is Sam Williams really going to be the answer. I'm thrilled by Dan Quinn working with him, but that doesn't mean he's going to be there this year. Remember, it took Diggs a couple seasons to really click. I do think along those lines, and this is something I have – you know, I'm a, I do a lot of shows and a lot of podcasts and stuff. This is something I have never vocalized. I've almost even never let myself like have this cognitive thought. But what was our biggest criticism of the Taco Charlton pick and the Tristan Hill pick? What, what was our biggest criticism of those things? That the coaches picked them on their right. That, that it was it was coach led. That they didn't trust the scouting department over that. That it was Rod Marinelli who had developed too much sway throughout the draft process. And I am in no way trying to knock Dan Quinn. He had a marvelous season, but we've seen marvelous seasons. Remember how in love people were with Rod Marinelli, with Monty Kiffin at one point in time. People were in love. remember how in love people were with Chris Richard. Like you know, and so what happens if if a year from now the Cowboys defense isn't this like world beater and they do regress and whatever this and that and the other. Are, are we are we now suddenly like totally completely like come all in love with Dan Quinn and trusting the the selection of Sam Williams to him because he got his guy? Didn't Dan Quinn get his guy in the Sean Wright last year? Like how'd that turn out? You know. And again, I'm not trying to to you know sling arrows at Dan Quinn here, but it's ironic that we're totally fine with this because it literally abides by the philosophy that we condemn because it didn't work out with other players. Yeah, that's there's a lot of recency bias clicking right there because everybody says, oh look what a great improvement. Okay. Yeah, well, first off, he got them to a really good place, at least on the stat sheet, and it certainly seemed to bear up in the regular season results. But you can't necessarily hold that. As you said, Cowboys had a lot better injury history last year, and they kind of had a unicorn. 
you don't have a new Micah Parsons walking onto this roster. That that has set them up so like mm-hmm. horribly for failure. Uh, yeah. And again, I, I don't want to just be negative, but this is a reality. And the whole subject that you wanted to talk about was like Kool Aid sipping. How, how many times did you see Tom in the leader of the draft was like? <laughs> I remember a lot of people being upset with the drafting of Micah Parsons. So let's just mm-hmm. let's just calm down. That's because that's I, it. Like because they struck gold. It's like it's not even that they struck gold. They literally got struck by lightning and developed superpowers. And so like their plan is to go to the same spot that they were struck by lightning and literally ask for it to hit them again and expect the same result to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just it's it's crazy. Yeah, and, and that I think skewed things so much because. Nobody in the league quite realized what he was. And even by the end of the season, people were still trying to figure out how to handle him and not having a lot of success. Now you see people trying to make that comparison with Sam Williams. Ooh, he's got a lot of the same traits. He is not the same kind of player that Parsons is. Uh, he, He may develop into something that will pair very nicely you know, like the right wine and the right cheese, they may go together very well on the field, but don't expect that to all just be wonderful and shiny. And and the ironic thing is that Quinn may do a very good job coaching this year. It just won't look like it because they won't have those kinds of turnovers. They won't be as spectacular and flashy, you know, the success the Cowboys may have success just because they figure out how to stop the run a little better. That ain't um, flashy, you know. <laughs> so, do you really believe that a lot of people are now back, Tom? That the Kool Aid. Sorry, Bless I had to you. sneeze. Thank you. Uh, I could tell what was going on. Uh, I muted it for the podcast audience, <laughs> yeah, but um, good. But do you think that like? I mean, because I, I do kind of expect there to be there, there is this sense of apathy, you know, um, as as just one small example, when the schedule came out last week, Demarcus Lawrence tweeted or actually it was because, um, you know, how they released week one before the whole thing. Um, and so Demarcus Lawrence in that window tweeted out revenge or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, because the Cowboys playing the Buccaneers again. And, so you know, some of the responses are your classic like let go, you know, you know, tank, whatever, you know, uh, sacks coming, whatever. Um but a lot of responses are like, okay, you know, <laughs> like a lot, a lot yeah. of responses are like, I, yeah, sure. Yeah. You, you guys are going to be chasing him around while he throws for 400 yards. Like I do still believe that a lot of people have yet to cross the picket line more so than ever at this point, those numbers may be dwindling, but I do believe that that consensus is still out there. See, I guess part of the thing is I don't view it as apathy because I think a lot of people still care about the team despite mm. their protestations. What I think, what I am trying to cultivate myself is a healthy skepticism about the preseason hype, about pumping these players up. You know, I saw that somebody, I can't remember who, I'd have to go back and look at the site, but somebody rated the Cowboys as having the best UDFA crop in the the NFL. And That was Thor Nystrom from NBC Sports Edge. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And it's like we have a, we have an article coming out on that at Block of the Boys tomorrow on uh, Wednesday, just over. Oh, that's, yeah, that's why I was trying to catch about because I saw that it was in Q, but I haven't mm-hmm. had a chance to read it. So what? <laughs> it's like you get what one or two 
players out of your UDFA. Tom, I'm, I'm stunned at, at this, like, you know, Eeyore and, attitude going on. And the on Cowboys here. have a real advantage because one of them is the guy that looks to be the heir apparent at kicker. That's a very common path for kickers into the NFL. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sure, and, and if you if you have one starter from your UDFA class, like you you're already you know batting well above the the average mm-hmm. UDFA class in the NFL, right? Um, I agree with you. I just I mean again, I'm I'm a little I was a, maybe I'm sipping the Kool Aid. Maybe it's like a slow sip, you know. Maybe I've like it's like a <laughs> like a maybe it's like an IV I've hooked up, you know what I mean? <laughs> like like it's a slow drip or something. Um, I was feeling a little bit optimistic, a little bit less so now. So uh, I guess that's the the impact that you've had, um, but. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, and I go back and forth. Um, I do. Th- this is this is the the sort of experience I'm the most confounded by, right? Like I have followed the Dallas Cowboys my whole life, like everybody here, um, to to an intense degree for a large you know portion of it. Obviously, in a professional sense, for a large portion of it. And if we if we think back, you know, I, I've said many times that the Cowboys have not been back to back playoff contenders or playoff teams since 2006 and 2007 and that they have not even had double-digit wins in consecutive seasons since 1995 and 1996. That that history has nothing to do with this team, but it's there, right? Like, you can't just ignore it. But I, I think it's interesting when we look back on the recent division titles, the, the most recent, if we talk about maybe since in the Romo era and beyond, right? Because that's kind of when a large amount of things change. And, and I think we, like, the, the luck sort of started for the Cowboys, like where they landed Romo and Dak. So if we look at 2007, obviously a phenomenal season, 2014, or, or 2009, if you want to count 2009 as well, 2014, a phenomenal season, so that's your, your third one, 2016, and then 2018. That's five division titles. The five years following all of those seasons, if, if you were around, whether you were on the internet, if you were you know, in the comment section at Blog and the Boys way back when, if you've been on Twitter, whatever, the five years, Tom, following all of those division winning campaigns were full of nothing, but they won the Super Bowl. They're back. Like it, it was nothing but like unyielded, unrelenting optimism and not like you there was there was not a drop of Kool-Aid to be had. I mean, it was scarfing the Kool-Aid. You, you couldn't get your hands on Kool-Aid. It, it was like Troy Aikman's new beer. You know what I mean? Like it, it was just crazy. And, and this, this is the most like they won the division, you know, and I'm not saying like that's that's an accomplishment, or I'm I'm not saying like how dare anybody be pessimistic. That's not my stance at all. But this this is this is the same thing. This is the same story, and and maybe maybe the reason for the healthy skepticism is because we've seen it five times. But I I find that phenomenon to be interesting. That despite the 
literal success they had last year that people are people do treat this team this offseason like it's a team that won four games a year ago yeah uh and and i i i do think i think it's just a culmination of the disappointment that you mentioned and the fact that i think stephen jones in particular really burned the fans with with how he handled things from you know the end of the season until the draft um it just it, it just maybe people just noticed it more and i think that is why people people are taking what i think is the right way a wait and see attitude uh you know the cowboys do have one thing that that i i stumbled across uh did an article on that should be up probably tomorrow wednesday for those that are listening to this on the podcast uh good job tom yeah uh he the uh, guy at uh, The Athletic, and I have to go back and look at the, the name of the author, I apologize. He noted the fact that uh, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, and Dak Prescott are the only quarterbacks that have been with their teams for five years or longer. So I believe it was Stephen Holder. Uh, That's right. It is Stephen was, Holder. And I, I think that you are... I don't mean this the like aggressive way it sounds. I think you're wrong. Um, I believe Aaron Rodgers was on that list as well. Didn't I just say Aaron Rodgers? I'm sorry. Derek I'm look. Carr. I was looking it up because you couldn't remember his name. <laughs> I was doing the work for you. Um, so yeah. but go ahead. Yeah, he was the first one because he's obviously the the senior guy. Um, and there is a very good chance that you know Aaron Rodgers is going to retire someday unless <laughs> you know he's he's found Tom Brady's secret magic drug or whatever. Uh, and Dak Prescott's going to become the longest tenured quarterback in, in the NFL, I think. Uh, uh, so you think he, you think that Derek, I guess what you're saying, just to be clear for people, is that Aaron Rodgers' time in Green Bay and Derek Carr's time with the Raiders, despite the new extension, will expire before Dak Prescott's time with the Cowboys. Yeah, I think right. uh, because I think because one of the other themes he had was that teams – are not as patient with their quarterback. And if Carr doesn't get something going, that he may be gone. Dak, frankly, has shown enough, I think, right now, that they aren't going to get impatient with him uh, as quickly. Uh, and that's also just because that's the way that Jerry Jones is, uh, you know. Uh, and And – He's coming in healthy this year. He may be the one thing that could really turn out well for the team. Uh, will that be enough to counter everything else? I don't know. I just think we need to be ready for the fact that not everything is going to be all, you know, Skittles and beer. It's not going to be all rain- rainbows so, and unicorns. When, so a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, I, I say all the time, I like to look at time weirdly. Dak Prescott has obviously been the Cowboys quarterback for a long time. He's been the quarterback for six years. Six, like Just to put that in perspective, six years is how long Tony Romo played with Des Bryant, his teammates, mm-hmm. as the starting quarterback. That's crazy. Like when you think, like it's been that long. Uh, it's nuts to think about. But speaking of Des, 
something that I have said many times before uh, in talking about flaws in NFL team building, not just the Cowboys, but it was my belief at the time in 2015 that the Cowboys built their team. And, and I think that this even rippled into the 2016 offseason and the drafting of Zeke. They, for so long, like two, a two-year little window there, tried to build their team is if they could pick up at Lambeau Field where Des caught it in the divisional round of the playoffs. That was they, they, they built it as if they could start right there. And you can't. You you mm-hmm. cannot. Just just because you had success in that way, playing that kind of football, that style, that scheme, whatever, you know, that approach, that one season, great. That in no way means it's it's going to yield the same fruit the following year. And they have made the mistake of believing that year after year after year. And so to some degree, in in a very, very weird way, I sort of not applaud, but I understand like, okay, you're, you know, you're looking at, at this picture a different way. It's like one of those, you're, you're unfocusing the image of last year to try to, you know, climb the mountain all over again. Um, but it's difficult to understand. I mean, um, Johnny Boyaran has a great comment kind of talking about the apathy or healthy skepticism against, I don't think it's rooted in what they did last year. Oh no. As opposed they? to the dismantling of the team's core topped off with arrogance. That is how they planned it. Um, and I agree that they do present this like, and the best example, I think the thing that really exposed them this offseason, Tom, let me, let me reword this. I think if not for the Randy Gregory situation, I think there would have been a lot of Kool-Aid drinkers to use your terminology saying we didn't need, we don't need Amari Cooper, Amari quit. He never showed up on the road. Like th- there would have been a lot of people standing for every decision that the Cowboys front office made, but the Randy Gregory thing and spe- more specifically the way they have reacted to that has exposed them in saying like, oh, well, so what, Randy's gone. We got Dorrance Armstrong and Leighton Vander Esch and Dante Fowler out of it. We got three players instead of one. Why are you guys mad? You know what I mean? Like they, they've tried to sell it so poorly that it has really kind of exposed how badly they botched that. Yeah, and and the fact that it they actually had multiple really bad mess-ups in the minds of some or or very poorly handled situations. You know, the Cooper thing was terribly handled because they telegraphed that they were not going to try to keep him, which just gave teams no reason to offer anything in the way. To, of to that trade. point, just to, just to very quickly interrupt you, Tom, people hear you say like people like you say that mm-hmm. and they say, so what that they, um, you know, they telegraphed it. Every team in the NFL is honest with their moves. I don't think anybody really is like faulting them for leaking that they were interested in trading Amari Cooper where they telegraphed it. And uh, shout out to BTB's Connor Livesy. He is, he's noted this is in the way they utilized him down the stretch last season. That yeah. was when they telegraphed. They were so obvious from November on from and, and, you know, put whatever stock you want into the vaccine argument, whatever. But from from that break point on, it was evident that they had no interest in him being a part of the team in 2022. Yeah, uh, which and that that is kind of odd to me because okay, we're going to move on from this guy, so let's scheme him up to be out there as much as possible, especially on those risky routes where he's liable to get his clock clean. You know, I mean. That's the cynic in me. Uh, you know, that's if you're going to get not keep a player, get as much out of him as you can before he goes because he's on your roster right now. You're trying to win games. Uh, but yeah, the fact that the fact that Stephen came out and talked about Amari Cooper's cap hit and Demarcus Lawrence's cap hit. And he's and- like, and to that point, again, not to interrupt you, Tom, but he has already, and we all, I 
not that I don't think anybody's like wants Zeke gone, but everybody wants that contract. Like everybody's ready to purge themselves from that. And and but however you feel about that, Stevens already doing the same thing with Zeke. Right? Literally, as soon as the draft ended, well, Zeke's making a lot of money. Well, whose fault is that, Steven? Like who who, who signed that check? Who designed yeah. this system? So go ahead, Tom. Yeah, exactly. It's it's obvious nothing has changed. It, it's like you know they they bungled the Randy Gregory thing, which no matter how they paint it. They clearly wanted to keep him at the same price he signed when he departed, and they failed to get that done because they have certain quirks in their contract language that aren't standard throughout the league and weren't prepared to address that soon enough and kind of apparently the agent didn't catch that and it kind of surprised them when they noticed it was in there. And then they've come right back or, or Steven has come right back and is now making the same arguments about Zeke. It's like, they're not letting people forget that this is who they are. They're it's, throwing it in our face. You know who I feel like Tom as a, as a Dallas Cowboys fan. Have you seen the movie 50 first dates? It's an older movie at this point in time. With no, Drew I, never, I didn't catch that particular wrong com. That's okay, Tom. That's, that's okay. So the premise of the movie is uh, Drew Barrymore has been in an accident at, at oh, some point. Um, I may have watched that after all. And so she, she thinks every day is the same day. Um, she, she thinks every day is like the same. So she, she lives this day out in the exact same sequence every single day and and like her family and the people around her cater to that because they love her so like her father for example has like thousands of the same newspaper printed you know what i mean so that every morning he can like you know set that out and every day uh because the day of the accident was his birthday so every day she believes it's his birthday so like every single day she bakes him a birthday cake and they go through the same routine every single day and and, you know she goes to sleep at night and her her memory you know rewinds that's her like condition in the movie and her father and her brother like set themselves up to whatever and it's when adam sandler comes in and is like well let's let's try to help her and then they fall in love whatever I feel like the father and the brother, right? Like, like, like we're we're trapped by this. Like, and you know, I don't know that you believe they're trapped, um, you know, in that movie, but we're trapped by them just keeping us in the same day over and because again, they're they're we're literally on this same cycle with Zeke. The difference, though, with Zeke as opposed to Dak or Amari or whoever, is that people are fine with them moving on. You know what I mean? So, so they'll feel justified, like they're doing the right thing here. It's like, no, 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 you're you're going about this the wrong way. We should have never been in this particular instance to begin with. Yeah, and and that's, I think, if you want to talk about why there might be apathy or even a sense of depression, is the fact that we know that's not going to change. There's not going to be significant change because the Jones family set the tone and directs so much of what happens. They have more influence, I believe, over the coaching staff than any other ownership in the league. And Stephen is going to be carrying it on for years to come. And I'm not even sure that Jerry is not a good influence in trying to kind of keep him from going too far in a particular direction uh, and wonder what will happen when Jerry's influence is not really a factor anymore. So Stephen spoke with Mike Florio a few weeks ago. We wrote about this as well. Um, and talked about why he doesn't like free agency. And it was the same old party line. Um, so in that sense, it wasn't depressing. But to your point, it was depressing in the sense of 
so this hasn't changed. So so nothing is, you know, nothing is going to happen whatsoever. Like you just believe this for all of time. Um, Jerry spoke um, to Peter King recently, Tom, for Monday's Football Morning in America. And, uh, and, and did you see this? Did you read this? I wrote about it as well. So if you didn't, you know, my feelings are hurt, whatever. But um, anyway, the Denver Broncos are, are going to be sold soon. And they're supposed to oh, fetch yeah. somewhere in the neck okay. of $4.5 billion. Uh, by the way, I talked about this with Tony Casillas on the 750 this week. And uh, so Peter King asked Jerry what he thought the Cowboys could sell for it. He got an evaluation and was told it'd be around eight, eight and a half billion. And Jerry said it'd be north of ten, be north of ten billion dollars. But I'll never sell whatever. And so they had a conversation. Peter King wrote about it. But the very end of the conversation, um, Jerry told says that he he tells a story about uh, when he first bought the Cowboys. He was having a meeting in Los Angeles with some representatives from Fox, and that at the time the Cowboys. Um, had drama going on, players out of line, and that Jerry swore, you know what, when yes. I get back, I'm going to put a stop to this, I'm, you know, whatever, this and that. And that the Fox executive told him, don't you dare, you know, the Cowboys are ratings gold, et cetera. This is Jerry's quote. The foibles, this, by the way, I love the word foible, like great job, Jerry, there. but the foibles, the soap opera, the issues, they create interest. Add in the senior bowl, the combine free agency, the draft training camp, we always got something going on. People follow us year round. The owner every now and then gets in the paper. It just adds to the interest. All of it. People love that. Not all of us. But that's that's one of those like quotes kind of like the Stephen thing. A totally different subject matter, but it just reinforces that like this is never going to change. That is, you know? that is That is a key element of his mindset, and it has been ever since the glory run of the 90s. You know, it, it developed that hubris and he's never lost it despite the quarter of a century since we've seen that kind of success with the team. Uh, that's soon going to be 30 years. The 92 team done. turns 30 this year, Tom. Mm -hmm. And then three more years. Uh, and so, you know, they've got a very short window to to. To, to beat that it from happening. I actually think it's it would be amazing. It'd be horrible if they got to a 30-year drought because – it, then it would you'd have you'd have an equal balance right? you have 30 years of success and then 30 years uh, of a drought and in the first 30 years not only had they won five super bowls they had appeared in eight that's absurd like to think about that they almost appeared in a third of all super bowls and that they would they could, that they could have squandered that entire lead over you know literally twice as long is amazing to me um but you're right the hubris the, the fact that he himself would say the owner gets in, you know, throws throws his hat in the ring, gets in in the mix, you know, is on the radio every once in a while. People love it. He does. He believes that people eat it up, and there are people, right? There are people, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. But like, oh, you, know. you see him interacting with the fans. It's mm -hmm. obvious this man eats it up. He lives for the applause. I um, or the booze. Uh, he's Tinkerbell in that sense. Um, <laughs> but um, I do think a great, and I mentioned this on the SB Nation NFL show, an example of how he because you know they make it difficult tom to refute the idea because people will say like they don't care about winning they they only you know care about money and i like i don't personally buy into that logic but they make it difficult to hold that position <laughs> like they make it difficult for me to, to defend um the idea that I, that i believe at least um but an example of when i do believe this, this is and i said this at the time 
Um, the, the week after they lost to, to the 49ers in the playoffs, Jerry went on 105 through the fan. I know you remember it well. We talked about it and refused to commit to Mike McCarthy. Refused. Was, was outright asked for an opportunity. Is Mike McCarthy coming back? And he refused to commit to Mike McCarthy. Why? So that that weekend on every pre or pregame show on NFL Network, whatever, there would be a segment devoted to are the Dallas Cowboys going to bring Mike McCarthy back, et cetera, et cetera. And then what's more, and this is where Jerry is starting to you know show a different side, um, not a good one, but is when he then reappeared on, on the fan, he got upset. He said, well, you guys made this a story. I didn't make this a story. No, Jerry, you had every opportunity to deny this. So when people were saying Dan Quinn, Mike McCarthy, it was because you created this whole firestorm. Yes. Uh, and it's, it's, it's absolutely what drives many of us crazy is, is that you don't really know how well considered some of these football decisions are and how much of it is just kind of an off the cuff emotional reaction to the circumstances. Uh, and that's, that's uncomfortable. Uh, I would like to have leadership and ownership that was more thoughtful more analytical, more reflective, but we ain't seeing that. And that's kind of why the frustration is built up and why I plan to stay skeptical, you know, right up until the point that probably when we're starting to know how the team is really doing in the playoff seedings, uh, you know, very late in the season, I may get some enthusiasm back, but until then I'm kind of going to be waiting for the, the, the balloon to burst. I, I guess, like, our last question, um, and I, by the way, I messaged you to keep going that my dog was barking. Um, so, <laughs> I, uh, I I was reading on that. Oh, no, uh, that, that's okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but so there's a UPS driver. He better be delivering, like, gold um, to <laughs> us right now. But, um, but anyway. I, I, most of the show, I've been sitting here scratching my dog's ears, keeping him nice and quiet and calm. That's he awesome. was over here seeing what was daddy was up to. Uh, well, our house is seemingly under threat, so uh, Bear is, is protecting it. He actually uh, fell. He's fine, but he fell off the couch, um, <laughs> like like freaking out about this. My question, uh, before I go back on mute, what what is required to like pull you back? Like what? What? Like if you have to put like an answer on that, like what? Because I think I think we're all like grappling with that question this offseason, right? Like we can all sit here and we could just sit and stew, right, and be mad. Like yo, I'm so mad at the Cowboys. They let me down. They hurt my feelings. Okay, cool. Like fine, you have a right to feel that way. But like what? What? What pulls you back? Like what? What decision? What? What accomplishment has to happen for you to feel like they're worthy of the way you used to feel? I. It would probably to actually feel get that feeling and feel secure in it would be making it to the NFC championship game. You know, um, like I'm not, not going to say they have to win the Super Bowl, but they have to prove they are relevant, that they are one of the top tier programs. But but what if league. what if they made it the then like and I know you're I, I think that's a fair answer, but like to, to like peel the onion back, what if they made it because in the division around they got a, a lucky call? You know, you know what I mean? Like what what if a fluky, you know, tipped pass happened? You know what I mean? Like the like the the, the results and the, the annals of NFL history are littered with those like butterfly effect moments, you know, to where you're, you're boiling it down to like just almost a matter of luck, you know? And so it, it I get your answer and I, I think I agree with it, but it, it is possible that they achieve that in a non-impressive way. Well, you kind of answered it yourself. How many times before has that been the case? How many times has a team made it that far and they probably 
got there over a better team than they actually were. I, w- I would argue the right. Niners got to the title game. And mm-hmm. not not the not that the, the Cowboys were better, but, I mean, you can make that argument, but that the, the Packers are better. I mean, the Niners beat them without scoring an offensive touchdown. You know, yes. be, be, beat beat the quarterback who won MVP back-to-back years, who's one of the greatest of our generation. You know, like, so I would I would argue that it literally just happened. I would You could make the same argument for the Bengals. You, you could argue that they were, you know, and I know that the Bengals didn't beat them, but they were not more worthy of the Bills uh, of being, you know, opposite of the Chiefs in the AFC title game. You know, and maybe they just caught the Titans on a bad day, and that's the magic of the NFL playoffs. But... Like if if the Cowboys had a Bengals year, would would you like it would feel somewhat hollow? You know, it, it wouldn't feel like impressive to me. Uh, I just see. I think luck has always been a part of the NFL, and and just some people are going to get breaks, and you can't. You have to set yourself up to take advantage of the lucky breaks, and just showing some ability to do that would be encouraging. Now. Does that mean I'm not going to enter the next season with a healthy dose of skepticism? Because they're going to have to do it more than once to really get me bought back in. I've said this before, too, but on the subject of luck, because it is amazing that at this point, luck hasn't smiled on the Cowboys. And maybe you could argue that it did last year, like with the turnovers and the, you know things like that. Uh, but there's a line I think about so much. Um, and I've talked about this before, but like I said, but have you seen the, the very, it's very popular YouTube video of a very upset Cleveland Browns fan upset in 2007. And he's yelling at the stadium, just like in, in total, like, you know, anger, uh, as if he's yelling at the team, but he's yelling at the stadium. Do you know what video I'm talking about? Uh, I don't think I've seen it, but it's, I think it's where I the term it sampled. It's where life. the term factor of sadness came from. Cause he, he refers to the building as a factor of sadness, but he, he, he has a line in there. Uh, because that same day that, that the Browns lost the game in question that he's venting about, uh, the Chargers were at Lambeau Field and had this, like, I don't remember the score, but it was like two, it was like a 47-41 sort of, like, crazy game, whatever, a super, like, offensive explosion, whatever. So this, this person is yelling at the Browns stadium, and he says, do you realize that it is actually statistically harder to be this consistently bad than it would be for you to sometimes accidentally, occasionally be good? And the Bengals are kind of an example of that, right? Like you, you just had your luck year, right? Like, mm-hmm. like the stars aligned for you, and you didn't win the Super Bowl, but like, it happened, right? Like luck smiled upon you, and you at least got there. And that even that hasn't happened for the Cowboys, which is amazing. Yeah, Ben, uh, that's because they do have one very consistent thing: it's people who sit and hold down the GM job and executive vice president for player or personnel. So. Tom, I hope this conversation was helpful and therapeutic in some way. Oh, it, it. Yeah, um, it's a little, a little bit of therapy, yeah, because, you know, you have to talk through your issues. And I, you know, I don't think it's bad to go into the season without drinking the Kool-Aid, without being totally bought into your team, with, with wanting to see them prove something. I think that can make for an enjoyable week because you can say, okay, let's see what you do this week. I think what it is, Tom, is we normally go grocery shopping on empty stomachs. And what, <laughs> and what you're saying is I'm going to eat a full meal and then I'm going to go hit the store. Yeah, not so not not going to go over to the bakery session and load up on the no bake cookies. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> they are uh, they're intense. But OK, uh, Tom Riles on Twitter at Tom Ryle BTB. You can hear him every Thursday on the Blog of the Boys podcast network on Riled Up with Roy White. You can read him at bloggingtheboys.com. Uh, if you need his social security number, his DMs are open and he'll definitely give it to you. Uh, Tom, um, the last 
however many words you want belong to you. Make them great. Send us home. RJ, it was kind of fun just sitting here and chewing the fat with you. One love.